It's gorgeous out. Let's pop some dots. This is the Updog Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Beaton, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. Welcome to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast. And if this is your first one, you're in for a treat because we have the famous or infamous Greg Tubbs with us. He is our first guest. This is our maiden voyage with a is guest. It, so, is it up all uphill from here or all downhill from here? I'm not, well, Greg, what do you think? Well, don't make me up duck all my dinner, okay? <laughs> That's a good start. That's a good start. All right. Uh, before we intro Greg, I'll give a little background on him and he can talk about himself. Uh, Jeff, Matt, what what's going on, guys? What are we drinking tonight? I got this beer. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it. Aus, I don't even know. It's a red ale from Central Waters. I don't even know how to say that. Wisconsin. 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 Pretty ale. good. Central Waters. They're in the middle of the state, pretty close to where our family farm is. So, yeah, representing some local beer tonight. That way. Mm-hmm. Left over uh, MKE Outboard from last fall. Tried to buy up what I could because they got sold, right? Or at least bought out. Yeah, I was just reading about it because I knew they closed and I had some left over. But I'm hoping because they, I was looking, they bought our Eagle Point, which is in Muskego, which is where I'm from. Bought it seems like all the licensing to their stuff. So I need to look into that some more. Nice. You do need to look into yeah. that. Excellent. All right. Um, let's get let's get Greg introduced here. So Greg Tubbs, our first guest. Um, and if you're if you've listened to this podcast, you heard the intro. We are part of the OKest Hunter Podcast Network or the OKest Podcast Network. Greg happens to be a host of two of the other podcasts on this network. So, um, Greg, give us a little background on yourself, the podcast that you're hosting, and just yourself as a hunter. Well, let's start off by taming it down a little bit. I'm not a host; I'm a co-host. Okay, all right. Is about at least one or two cuts below that. Okay, you got to set the expectations. Set the bar low here. Get this figured out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, Absolutely. as a hunter, um, you know, obviously this podcast is all about bird hunting and, and dog training and, and dog handling, right? Um, my experience growing up, I always had labs. So I always chased rabbits or we were chasing pheasants out on the farm I lived at. Um, I was very fortunate as a kid that there was a pheasant farm not too far away that the escapees would make their way to the farm I lived on. And we were one of the very few farms left in the area that actually had some canary grass still standing. And we had fence lines where those birds would find refuge. So it was pretty simple for me to just go out the back door, literally, up to the top of the hill and work the first fence line. And if I was right on the money, I would have two birds down within 10 minutes. It, it was up, kick two birds up and done. I had a good, a halfway decent dog, good enough dog to put the birds up. She wouldn't fetch, but she'd, she'd get them up and I could knock them down. So that was kind of like my beginning into bird hunting was shooting pheasants. And then it got into turkey hunting as well. And then later on in life in my 20s, 
I started duck hunting. Yeah, that's like the perfect setup, having a farm right next to a game farm and all the birds that you did not pay for just make their way over to your farm and you get to shoot them for, for free. Yeah, it was pretty nice. And that farm, like, it was a game farm. They raised it for other, other uh, you know, I think they raised some birds for the state, but they there was not, it wasn't a shooting preserve. They just raised the birds and whatever got out of the pen made its way throughout the entire neighborhood. That's it cool. Was, yeah. Was now smooth. you had you had to stick to roosters only though, right? Just because Correct. they were off of a game farm, even though those guys next door were shooting hens and roosters, most likely, right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, it was roosters only. I very rarely did I see hens. I mean, I I'd see a few of the dogwood put up one on occasion, but we knew the difference. We never we'd never mm -hmm. seen hens. We were always okay, gonna stick around. Yeah, I've got a random question then. Did you so because your farm was next to there, did you did you happen to see those birds end up some of them surviving and then uh reproducing and yes. having, having actual wild populations? We actually did have a, a nice little wild population for a while until the farm changed hands. But back in the heyday, as I I consider it, um when I was a teenager, it was nothing to see, you know, four or five hens in in you know late spring early summer running around with with chicks you know a, a hatch of poults that made it and i don't know how many would actually make it because we had so many feral cats around we had coyotes we had foxes tons of raccoons so we somehow sustained a population of of birds on the farm until the uh <clears throat> A lot of that crop rotation program went away. The farmer took the the big field of canary grass that was behind the house that was prime habitat and and completely cut it under and planted it in corn the next year. You know, that's kind of the issue with the whole state, it seems like, is that, you know, the farmers, they just don't seem to get enough incentive to continue enrolling in the CRP programs. You know, or in Iowa, you know, you just go across the border and it's just every farmer seems to be. it's kind of unfortunate you know it'd be nice to see that program thrive again like it did you know back in the day especially like in the 70s when my parents grew up you know my dad said that you know there was just crp stuff everywhere and they would walk ditches and railroad tracks at after school and kick out birds you know you just you just don't see that anymore in wisconsin no not at all um i and then after that disappeared that crp field disappeared uh fence lines were like the next next best thing right we still had birds around because we had fence lines well the, the land sold a new guy started leasing the neighbor's land and all of a sudden the fence line started to disappear once the fence line disappeared all of them did we had no birds to be seen anywhere yeah that makes sense and it literally happened within a year there's nothing left for them to hide in I mean, hab habitat, that's the big thing here, right? That's what we're right. Talking and, about. and it was all for, you know, another two to three rows of corn. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, is that kind of when you transitioned into turkey hunting or was that kind of a... No, it was, kind of, they kind of went hand in hand. I would say I shot my first bird when I was 12. So when I did the pheasant hunting, I was a little older. So I actually got my first 
hunting experience was turkey hunting aside from going out and rabbit hunting with my dad carrying an empty 410 shotgun you know the trainer gun here you can have the gun but no shells kind of deal mm-hmm. I think um, we, we probably all toted around one of those single shot 410s back in yeah. the day when we were kids you bet i um, i may or may not have actually carried a, a loaded firearm and then you know you were um, one of the lucky few then yeah you know i we 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 bent the rules a little bit um you know but but firearm safety was like beaten into you though not literally mm-hmm. just figuratively beating beaten into you from a very young age absolutely and yeah, when we were kids it was you know 12 was the the minimum i think to get your hunter safety right and yeah i think you guys were recently talking about this on your podcast you know it's when is the right time to start your kids you know yeah and honestly like my dad was taking my brother and i out back we're kind of going in reverse instead of forward here but <laughs> it's all right we would we go out back and i got the 410 my brother got the 22 because he was two years younger than me and he was smaller so i'd get the 410 dad would fill milk jugs full of water and set them on the fence post walking down the lane and we'd go and pick them off you know that was just fun stuff and we learned how to shoot that way and then i was probably eight years old seven or eight years old at that time so i was learning you know i learned to respect firearms at a very early age my dad had his federal firearms licenses to do repair work for people so i saw my share of shotguns and rifles and handguns come in and out the house and get get fixed or get new stocks put on them or you know new bluing put on them or whatever but uh learned how to shoot pretty early and then learned more about hunters you know firearm safety and then my first hunt right after i finished my hunter safety was for turkey that spring and i shot a, a 24 pounder with 11 and a half inch beard and i've never shot one that big since <laughs> That's far. i think my my biggest turkey was probably my first one too which is yeah. interesting it was up in the plus area too on top of it so i remember climbing the big hill to get up on top and watching these birds early in the morning and had one come by just just in just in range and i shot it and rolled it down the hill <laughs> whenever i drive through that area i always just those poor guys that have to trek up and down those hills hunting oh man i don't envy that but it, it's beautiful country that's for sure it is and there is something to, to be said about you know hearing those birds down in the, the valleys and just gobbling away and, and the way they thunder through the through the ravines it's pretty cool now you still have that 410 my brother ended up with it It ended up going through a house fire it was a korean made 410 it wasn't even anything special and half of it like the parts that held the, the foregrip on were made of plastic so it wasn't a great shotgun but i i don't know i killed my share of starlings and other household pests with it nice yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome i actually just i just uh took out my childhood 410 a year ago or so and i bought some tss turkey loads for it and my my intent was to take it out and try to shoot a turkey with it but it didn't end up happening so maybe this next year i'll i'll get the courage to take it out there with me do it that's supposed to be the way to go everybody's going uh tss out of a 410 usually number nines yeah i think it cost like 40 bucks for five <laughs> shells it was it was ridiculous <laughs> but in my mind it was okay 40 dollars for four or five turkeys hopefully that's that's not a bad deal if you think about it that way right yeah as long as you're not trying to sight it in every time you go out right exactly or you're not going to miss so <laughs> it's an expensive miss that's for sure it certainly is so so greg did you did you have you continued to pheasant hunt from the time you were you know 
12 on up until now? Did you take a break? What, what's that journey been like? No, I, so I went a stretch 12 years old. We had a dog, the dog passed away. And then I kind of didn't do much bird hunting. Dad pushed us more towards deer hunting. So we were always doing deer hunting, not really having a lot of success at it. And I just, I don't know, I got, got into high school. I did some sports and got had a job and didn't really have a lot of time to do much of the other stuff. So I would say bird hunting was, was backburnered probably up until after I graduated tech school and had, you know, my, my career in, in HVAC. So, but I had a buddy who was trying to get me to come out and goose and duck hunt with them. So pheasants were always around, but I didn't really pick it back up and hunt. Well, I ended up getting a dog and she would fetch pretty good. Um, so I kind of got back into pheasant hunting and started dabbling in a little bit of duck hunting and, and field goose hunting because on that farm, we were right close to the river. The, the, the birds would fly over the highway from the river and land in the field and eat for the morning. And they would leave mid, you know, mid morning, go back to the river, loaf around and then come back in the evening and feed again. So my buddy, him and his dad, and another couple of buddies, they're buddies now, but you know, I met them through, through my friend. Uh, they came out and we had a whole crew of us just camping out in the fence line on top of the hill as the geese came in and just a lot of, a lot of fun memories of blasting geese and, some of these guys are sky blasting at geese and whiffing and we're giving them crap about it. And it's just a good time, you know? Um, but the pheasants, I, I would wait on hunting those until late season. I, there's something about for a while there for three years, three or four years in a row, Christmas morning, I would get up the rest of the family would be sleeping. I'd get up, grab the dog, grab the shotgun, I throw my vest on and, and go out to that fence line up on top of the hill and just walk it. And uh, intentionally would let a few birds go just because otherwise I'd knock out my limit in five, 10 minutes. And what fun is that? So you might as well let the dog work and, and get a little, little time in. But every, you know, for those three or four years, I'd come back with a limit of pheasants in, in a pretty short amount of time. But Going back to uh, goose hunting, you know, that took place. My buddy's like, oh, it starts in September. Uh, let's, we should, we should go do this. You know, I got a crew. I got all these decoys. All right, let's do it. And early season was awesome. Four of us, we each shot a limit. So that was a lot of, a lot of geese to clean, like the first time we went out there. And as we progressed, we educated those birds because a lot of them were pretty local. And then they would kind of, they'd see the decoy spread. My buddy would blow on that goose call and they'd flare and take off. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of, we kind of learned that less calling is more, um, alternate the decoy spread, move them around a little bit, you know, and I think my buddy ended up buying a different set of decoys once just to try it. And, you know, he went with silhouettes the one time and actually the silhouettes worked really well. Oh, the silhouettes are the way to go for sure for geese. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we would combine them with the, the cheap flambeau shells that he had. You know, the, I don't know how many he had. We'd, we'd spend a fair amount of time putting them all out. And it was great for early season, but it's a lot of work to do for regular season once that kicks in, you know. 
it all them decoys just for two birds a piece is kind of a lot of work but that was kind of my gateway into into uh waterfall was shooting canada geese good sounds great did you uh have you found a goose recipe that you like honestly i have kind of a universal recipe that works for pretty much any bird that's wild um it's just as simple as is marinating it in uh um balsamic vinegar if you like balsamic vinegar it kind of gives it, it barbecue flavor well you're shit out of luck then <laughs> <laughs> i've actually heard a lot of people turning you know my brother-in-law wants to do this too turning goose meat into uh dog treats that's like a big thing i guess people are doing especially if they have a raw diet like maggie eats a raw diet right matt yeah um i've heard of some people actually they don't eat meat but they hunt to feed their dogs which interesting is a very interesting thing i don't know how you guys feel about that i'd have to shoot a lot more birds to make that uh yeah, you would really, solution. you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Them dogs go through a lot of yeah. food. I don't know. I've I've had goose sausage before, just summer sausage, and a buddy took it in somewhere around here. They ground it up and they they made a, a summer sausage out of it. It was great. Yeah. You can mix that's it all... with some pork or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's all my buddy does. He takes his and his dad's geese, and they'll mix ducks in it. And all he makes is sticks and summer sausage, summer and he keeps sausage. them throughout the year. He brings a pack or two every. Uh, like HRC tests, he'll, you know, he's working or whatever. He'll hang out, hanging out under the tents or just hanging out by the trucks and stuff. And it's delicious. Yeah. I've had goose jerky too. Which mm -hmm. is, I had it made out of snow goose. Yep. Extruded jerky. It was great. It's quite good. I've, uh, I'm waiting to get goose sticks made. I just have to shoot a few more of them. You know, that's the, the problem. Minimum just, there. Yeah. yeah. It's like 50 pounds. Yeah. So we got so, like five years to go or something like that. Uh, at least, yeah. <laughs> See how much freezer burn is left. How much freezer burn is on the ones that are in there by the time I may take it in. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a recipe for dog food already. That's right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. and, sorry, sorry, Greg, I interrupted. So the recipe has balsamic vinegar, blah, yeah, but so keep going. Balsamic vinegar, uh, olive oil. You can do, I, I mean, you want to keep it real simple. Garlic Mrs. Dash, you know, yeah. to your liking keep it simple um you can throw a little soy sauce in there for the salt or you can salt it and pepper it there's a lot of different things i don't think i've ever made it the same way twice it i always add a little something different it always tastes good uh but the balsamic i let that stuff soak i, I take the the meat you know if you're going to do a whole goose breast you want to cut it into strips about as thick as that tender that's on the back side of that goose breast you know the tender i'm talking about yep 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 Musty tendon in it. Yep. Um, and I marinate that stuff for about at least six hours in a bag in the refrigerator. So balsamic, olive oil, kind of just throw it in there. You know, you don't have to be real even or perfect about it. Maybe, right. you know, might be a quarter cup of balsamic to two tablespoons of of uh, olive oil, and then you know, generously season it with whatever seasoning you like. You just do plain salt and pepper. You can get rid of the salt and go soy sauce. You can just do garlic Mrs. Dash, Italian Mrs. Dash, whatever you want to do in there. But just let all that meat soak in there. That balsamic will kind of break that meat down and make it more tender. And then I, I put it on the grill, on a Weber grill, not, not your gas grill. I like to have a little charcoal flavor on my meat. So I'll put it on the Weber and just cook it medium rare. 
that might be part of the problem too. Why a lot of people don't like it is it's cooked overdone, overdone. right? You know, pheasants can be tricky like that too. I mean, pheasants you can overcook a pheasant real quick. Like it's it's tricky. Yep. Now you would probably use that same recipe for pheasant too, huh? I've done it. I've done mm-hmm. it with wild turkey too. In fact, I just did a wild turkey breast not that long ago. Cut it all into strips, made turkey strips and chunks, and made turkey nuggets essentially. Yeah, I think I even threw some uh, rosemary in there too. That kind of adds nice little flavor to it. And uh, just put it right on kebabs and put it on charcoal grill again, and everybody ate the heck out of it. That's it's good that way. Yeah. yeah, or you can throw the training wheels on it and throw <laughs> throw bacon and. And uh, good old cream cheese and a jalapeno. I mean, everything tastes good in a popper. So it's true. That's true. What's uh, the, uh, Matt, Matt and Jeff? What's your what's your go to? Do you have a go to goose recipe or and and or a go to go to pheasant recipe? We're talking cooking. I'm I'm hot to try it on cooking here. So I, I don't for geese. Honestly, I typically give them away. I I rarely shoot them by myself. I'm usually shooting ducks, but pheasants. I mean, we usually make some form of popper or just kind of keep it easy on the pheasant side um well actually pheasant wild rice stew is kind of my new thing so we go up to lake superior so i've been buying wild rice a bag every year we go up in september and then during the fall we'll turn it into wild rice stew every year that's kind of my new my new recipe i just had a wild turkey stew like that nice it was good yeah yeah for me it seems like it's just like it's all about the marinade for me um, I think that's the biggest thing with waterfowl and pheasants and turkeys is is the marinade, in my opinion. Um, I actually marinated some pheasant uh, breast when we were ice fishing this last winter, and it was the simplest thing. I literally took it out, thawed it out through just barbecue sauce. I think it was just Kroger barbecue sauce. Threw it in a bag. I let it sit in the fridge for, I think, like two and a half days. I actually marinated it for a long time. And then I cut it up into chunks, put it on kebabs, and that stuff was just melt in your mouth. It was it was unbelievable how tender it was. Um, so I think for me, it's it, it's all about the marinade and and taking your time with it for sure. And then my mom does pheasant pot pies a lot. Hmm. Um, so my dad pheasant hunts Ooh. quite a bit. Um, he belongs to a club, so they get a lot of birds, and he's putting down a lot of birds. So she'll she'll sit down and just make a whole bunch of pot pies. Um, wrap them in tin foil and throw them in the freezer so they can just pop them in the oven and good to go. So that's that's a good way to do it too. Pot pies are awesome. Uh, yep. It's comfort food, probably one of the best comfort foods at its finest. I, I did mm-hmm. one with the, so I save the turkey legs and, and thighs. You can do it with pheasant too, but I usually slow cook them in, in chicken stock or chicken broth. Cook them for six to eight hours in the slow cooker, and then they you can get every bit of meat off all them stupid tendons and all the bones. You just take that meat, shred it up, and throw it in. I mean, you can keep it as simple as making using Heinz gravy off the shelf and frozen vegetables like veg all or or canned vegetables, and uh, put it in a couple of uh, uh, excuse me, a couple of uh, frozen pie crusts, and just put it together. It's it's so simple. So, uh, I mean, I'm getting hungry. Like, I was gonna say, it's really turning into cooking. This is this is hey, this is like you know, we, we said we don't want to. We don't know where this is gonna go. We'll just kind of start talking and we'll just see. Um, okay, does anybody like deep fried pheasant? Because I that's kind of like my jam. I have a I have like a uh, 
like a southern fried chicken recipe that that I I take I take that recipe and apply it to pheasants. The only thing I do is I I will you have to brine the pheasant to really tenderize it, and then when you after you deep fry it, it's just like I mean it's so tender, it's, it's amazing. That's Are a, you brining it in chi- uh, pickle juice? Not in pickle juice. Nope. Okay. What are you brining? No, it, it's a it's a water sugar salt combo, I believe. Yep. Sounds it's, good. Yeah. I was gonna say yeah. the the most recent Gun Dog magazine actually had was it a fried pheasant popper a recipe for that? I just ripped that out of the magazine from this last month. See, I haven't looked That's at that one yet. It's sitting on the counter. counter. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, Tyler, I fully expect to uh, get a text message thrown my way next time you make these deep fried pheasant poppers. <laughs> I'd, been, I'd like to try that. It's been a while. We should we should uh, we should do like a uh, cooking. We should just get together and cook sometime. The problem is cooking Matt. Show. Yeah, Matt, you're in. It's got to be when you're up in Muskego, though. Yeah. Yeah. We come back. We get a little bit more local. We could do something like that. would be fun. Greg, we could all we could all get together. Get the whole crew together. Mm-hmm. Big cook off. All right. Um, yeah. We are uh, we're sidetracked here. That's okay. Uh, that's what we do all the time here. Uh, but Greg, what about what about duck hunting? I've heard a few of your duck hunting stories. Like, how did you how did you get started? And were you? Yeah. So, I think we're done doing rewinds of the rewinds. Yes. Sorry about that. Um, so the same buddy that got me into goose hunting, he's like, you know, you got that pup. So we we bred. I had a, a dog bred. We ended up with seven pups. We. My girlfriend at the time, who was now my wife, uh, decided that we were going to keep the runt male of this litter. And and it was a good choice because he was definitely the smartest, had the most natural ability. Like a gun went off, he was looking to work. Where the rest of them would hightail it back to the kennels, which was kind of surprising. So then we would take him out, we would shoot clays in the back of the farm. And he would be the only one that stuck around. Well, my buddy whiffed at a clay. And he went out and picked it up. You know, he was born in February and this was in July. And the dog goes wandering out there and scoops up the clay and brings it back whole and lays it down and just sits there and wags his tail with his ears up. Okay. My buddy looks at me, goes, I'm buying that dog from you. I'm like, no, you're not. Libby already laid claim to him. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I'm not kidding you. You can have pick of whatever other one you want. You can't have that one. All the ones that are back in the kennel with their tails <laughs> between their legs. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we we knew that dog had something in him to to want to. I mean, I took that dog pheasant. I took that dog grouse. So he would goose hunt. He would duck hunt with me. But getting back to it, that was kind of like one of the reasons to duck hunt. And then my buddy is like, we should go duck hunting. You know, you got a pretty good dog. Let's let's go and do it. So we did. And no regrets whatsoever. I mean, I, I burned through boxes of shells whiffing at teal like crazy. And then finally, you know, we set up the thrower in the back of the farm and I'm like, we got to start shooting crossers. I think I burned up 65 shells, shell number 66. I finally hit a crosser. Just, it was behind every time over the top, every time, you know, it was, it was always off and finally figured how to pull through things and lead things. And back to the marsh we went, and we were dumping teal left and right. Teal and woodies were were not safe in front of us. And the dog was just out there having the time of his life, grabbing birds. And there were times where we'd get so many birds coming in, I'd have two other guys with me. And one guy's shooting to the left, another guy's shooting right over top. And I'm, I'm trying to keep 
track of everything. And then I get a bird swing in from, from behind and cross right in front. And I dump that in the decoys and the dog just going, all right, which way? Tell me which way to go. I'm going to go do this one. So he'd go swimming off. And I didn't have him that well trained, but he knew where the birds were. There were birds that we dumped into cattails that we had no no right to even be getting back, and that dog would come back with them. He was just great. So you know what? You get a pass on all the obedience bull crap that we're trying to fight through. You're doing a great job, buddy. Just keep on going. <laughs> um, but I think we, we came back with almost a full limit for three guys, and we've, we've scooped up every bird that we, we dropped. It was great. Were you, um, were you, so were, were you hunting on public land? Yeah. That's the end point in time. Okay. Yeah, that was public. I mean, the only time I did any waterfowling on private was for the goose, you know, okay. layout hunting on ground on, you know, dry land. Otherwise, and were you, yeah. Were you, were you like taking a boat up in there? Were you hiking back in? We were hiking back in waders, a couple dozen decoys, way more decoys than we absolutely needed because these were just little potholes off of sloughs that we just go in and we, we kind of backdoor most of the guys. Cause most of the guys look at it and they go, Ooh, big water. So that's where they would go. And it'd be like a calling contest out there. You could hear them guys just highballing and blasting away at the ducks with their, with their calls. And we just had a small, simple spread of decoys. You know, out of the four dozen that we brought out there, we'd only maybe put a dozen out <laughs> and uh, put the dog, set the dog up and just hide in the reeds. And uh, those ducks would come off the pressured water and circle in behind where, where the cattails were tall, where we were hiding. And they'd just swoop in, see some decoys circling, and we'd just start picking away at them. I'd love the i love the, the thought process behind it it's so strategic right i mean you're you're getting away yeah. from the pressure I mean, well and we we were pretty good about scouting it too like i i'd like to take walks back there because i'd hunt pheasants and i'd hunt ducks back there as well and eventually i started hunting deer back there too uh, so i got to know the property really well and how the birds used it and where the people come and go through it and where there was pressure and where there wasn't and the big water was always where everybody wanted to be because that's where the big numbers of ducks were. But you don't need to flock shoot. You need, you know, just a couple committers here and there. I would rather have, you know, three, four hours of fun shooting rather than a huge volley of fire and having wounded birds everywhere. I mean, you're going to have wounded birds. It's going to happen. You're going to have, it could be just a little off the mark and you're, might just wing one knock a couple feathers off and it falls in and it's swimming around and that's happened i got to watch my dog retrieve a, a mallard that was winged that dog that duck dove four times and the dog dove with it and the last time he ended up all i could see was the tip of his tail he was down in the water he came up with a mouthful of mallard it was awesome and i didn't have a camera <laughs> to, to take any pictures of it it would have been just the coolest thing to get pictures of it but the memories up here that's a that's a that's a cool story i haven't i mean so i don't have any cool stories like that from mac i've i've only had a a, a diving goose just like you know basically for 20 minutes just evade you know and eventually you know, i mean yeah they're eventually tough. yeah dog gets so i mean he was just gassed he's just swimming around you know in circles for 20 minutes trying to 
every time it gets close, you know, up on the other side. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, Jeff, you're muted. We, Jeff has Jeff has no volume. No, he just uh -oh. disappeared. I see I see lip movement, but no uh, no volume. Uh oh, uh oh, that's not good. Houston, we have a problem. I know it. Eric, oh, here we go. Okay, Eric. there you go. There we go. Am I back? You're yeah, and we're back. Uh, we're back. We're back. Some technical difficulties. All right, carry on. I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> we're talking about about diving ducks and geese. Diving ducks and geese. Diving ducks and geese. Yeah, I don't remember what the what my punchline was. So, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, have you had uh, has Maggie had any experience with divers like that, wounded birds? No, no, she hasn't. Lots of lively pheasants, but no, no ducks or geese. Definitely no geese. She's never picked up a goose, but no, no lively ducks. A couple wing flaps, but nothing, nothing like extremely alive. So that same Labrador. His name was Bob, by the way. That's awesome. Yeah. Named Bob, not for the game show host, but he was the first out of litter to learn how to bark. And he would start barking at 5 o'clock in the morning, every morning, to make sure everybody knew that he was awake and he needed to go out from a little, tiny little pop on. So my brother affectionately named him Bob Barker. But Excellent. old Barker, I have another good story with a goose. From from old Barker, we we had another banner day out on the marsh. We were shooting mallards. And I think I got one bonus green wing teal, but there were four of us. We shot. We almost had our limit of mallards. And my buddy and his dad are like, "Oh, we're hungry. We need to go get some food." So they ran into town and they grabbed some food. Well, wouldn't you know? And as they're gone, we have a flock of geese fly over. And the other guy I was with, he's like, "Oh, what do you think? Should we should we can can we shoot at them?" I said, "Well, yeah." They're legal. I said, we can take two apiece. All right. And these were giant Canada's. These were big, big birds. They came out of town along the river, came right over the top of us. I let, let Brett take the first shot. He took a shot and missed. I pulled ahead, swung, and, and took another shot and knocked the wing off of one. And it came careening down. It hit the field edge, bounced like a basketball, and the dog was bolting across the field to go get it the goose hit the hit the ground did a roll got up and the dog was hot on his tail like right behind him and it was like i can remember it like it happened in slow motion dog jumped feet all sprawled out mouth wide open tongue hanging out and the goose like its eyes got as big as saucers and it was like nope and it took off running the dog got on top of it grabbed him by the neck I saw feet, I saw tail, I saw feathers and beak and feet flopping around all over the place. And the dog laid it out flat and the bird just laid, you know how geese will lay down and they'll lay their neck flat, their head and everything. It did that. So we're waiting for Cobra chicken to come alive. Cobra chicken sees me coming and does the, huh? And the dog was like, uh Oh, not happening. And the dog is about ready to go grab him. And the, Cobra chicken hissed at him and the dog put the brakes on and went, uh, huh, what's that? 
And he, we're going to turn that one into a reel with these, uh, <laughs> since you guys can't see these hand movements and hand gestures that are going on. It looks just like a goose. The, the dog, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dog's like, uh-uh. This is some quality content here, Greg. And he, the dog looks back at me, I'm like, get him. And the dog's like, uh-uh. And the goose is like, see ya. And he, he's hoofing it for the water. So the goose makes it to the water. The dog was like, no, nah, I'm not having anything to do with it. Because he was a small dog. He was 60 pounds ringing wet. And this is a jumbo Canada. I run over there, have, have the shotgun in hand. It, it hits the water and it's about ready to start swimming the river. I pull up and I shoot the top of his head off. It falls in the water and it's flopping and beating all over the place. And it's starting to float down current. I pull the dog over by and I line him up and I point, fetch him up. He looks at me, he's like, ah, I'm like, you're going to fetch him up and you're going to fetch him up now. Fine. Runs, jumps in the water. The bird's done kind of flopping. He grabs it by the wing. It starts like hitting him in the head and he hangs on. Does great. Paddles it back to shore. I'm like, here, bring it, you know, bring it to me. I want him to bring it to hand because he did great with the mallards. No, this is as far as we go with this thing. It's all you from here. Fine. So pick it up and grab it. But it was it was huge. It was an enormous, enormous goose. So that's my goose story. And then every goose we shot on land after that, if I'd send him out to get it, he'd have his way with those geese until they stopped breathing pretty much. Like they'd pluck half of them right down to the breast meat. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. It's like, well, I mean, geese, I swear, I swear, this is this is me. Maybe I'm just a terrible shot, but I swear that like they have body armor on and like, you know, uh, I've got BBs just bouncing off of them is what it seems like. Yeah, I I think the best luck I had with geese when I first started hunting them, I had a Remington 870, but I'd never, I never I always had the, the rifle deer barrel. Well, my dad had a spare barrel, his original barrel from his 870 Wingmaster. It was a 30 inch compressed choke barrel. So you can't shoot steel out of them. If you do, they're not going to last very long. You'll blow a choke right out. So my buddy's dad, he's like, here, I got all this tungsten. He handed me boxes of this federal tungsten. Those were good loads. Those things kicked ass, man. Like, I dumped so many birds with that stuff. I even shot mallards at way farther distance shots than I ever should have shot over field field spreads. You know, they'd, they'd come in with the geese and, well, you can take, take ducks too. So we'd, we'd take ducks along with the geese. Uh, you know, when it was open and it was, it was great, great stuff, but tungsten's pretty expensive. It is, but yeah, there's something to be said about, yeah. you know, being able to poke out there that much further and making sure that you're not, you know, just wounding birds all the time. Yeah. A 60 yard shot on a mallard with double beat tungsten is pretty, pretty wicked. Right. <laughs> not me. That ain't me. So <laughs> Well, with how many? Yeah, with how many shells we waste, it probably break the bank trying to pay for tungsten shells. Yeah, <laughs> I switched. You know, once I ended up, I ended up scooping up a, a twenty-eight inch barrel with with chokes in it. Then I switched to um, heavy metal. By mm-hmm. heavy shot, that was that buffered shot. It had it had uh, had steel and it had tungsten, a mixture of different things. That stuff was great too, and it was more reasonable back then. So my buddy and I actually split a case of duck loads and, and goose loads when you used to be able to buy it at Max Prairie Wings for a decent price. 
Now, Greg, it, seem, it seems like you, uh, you've had a lot of success duck hunting and goose hunting from, from the sounds of it. Now, what, what made you hang it up? Well, not, not necessarily hang it up, but really focus on deer hunting, right? Yeah. I mean, well, there's a number of things because there was some time there that I actually, because of my job, my profession, I was doing a lot more on call work and the dog was getting older. Um, my wife and I, you know, we had our house and everything, but I just professionally, I didn't have the time to dedicate to it. I mean, I'd get gypped out of going to deer camp in some years because I'd get extra calls dumped on my lap, you know? So I guess I'm not going up north to deer hunt this year. Uh, so it was really a time thing, you know. The dog was yeah, so the, the few opportunities that you had. You just you chose deer over over ducks or geese or something like that. Yeah, I did. And then some yeah. of my some of my buddies quit duck hunting too. You know, um, not to say I didn't mind. I did a lot of my my own solo hunting with the dog. It was just nice to go out and knock down three or four birds with the dog, and then come home. You know be home in time for to make breakfast and then uh, maybe have to head out on a couple calls or something. I did that a little bit, but yeah, to your point, it just got to the point where my time was so limited and the dog got to the point where he couldn't be out doing that stuff anymore. Cause I'd, I'd get him home and he'd just be wore out at a 10 year old dog. You know, you don't want to put him through the paces like you would when he was four. Right. Now you think the dog work is what you miss the most about, waterfowl hunting that was one of the coolest things is to watch that dog do his thing you know granted you guys like to train a dog a certain way i was not that same way i'm i didn't have the expectations that you know tyler has of his dogs or you probably have of yours uh my dog he learned he'll sit stay and he did that really well and i could line him up on a bird and he would mark a bird and i just Call him, call him by name and he'd be gone. But there were times too where I just pull a trigger, bird was falling, I'd dump another bird while that other one was almost to the water. And that dog knew, well, I know I'm going to get called to do this anyway, so I'm just going to go get this one. And I just kind of, I laxed on on the training. But to answer but the your dog, the dog met your expectations, right? We talked yeah. about that in the last podcast that, yep. you know, as long as you get out of the dog, you know, what you expect, then that's that's all that matters, right? And you're having fun. Oh, we were having a blast. Right. I wouldn't trade any of those memories for anything. It was a ton of fun to watch that dog do what he did and have his natural abilities. You know, he's a great fish dog, too. So if you ever caught any bluegills, put him out on the ice, he'd bring him back to me. (laughs) That's awesome. That's uh, wow. So, um, Greg, do do you still have those spots marked, by the way, pinned somewhere? I do, but I'll tell you what, the, the marsh has changed so much. Um, the lack of water in the marsh, there might be a little bit in there, but it, it's not what it was 15 years ago. Um, and if it's still there, there's probably a lot of other guys that have that mark now. I don't know, man. I, I think there's more guys in there bow hunting. You'd be surprised. Like Even some of my best wood duck spots, like I have a couple spots where the dog and I would go jump hunt wood ducks there isn't any water in there anymore. It doesn't hold any ducks. I was going to say, we might need to get his Onyx password here, uh, Tyler. <laughs> start, start screenshotting these pins. I know, right? I've been, I've, I've like, 
not i haven't been very direct in asking but i've kind of i've kind of poked around at it before i'm kind of i'm gonna be more direct now i'll be like great you should, you should really go out duck hunting here you should take me to your spots Greg, there that's, we go there it is right here we take them with that's right we need to get we need to get greg back involved here right um get him a dog get him into the training game a little bit i have one dog it's a rescue dog she's 11 and we kind of try to go out and pheasant hunt every year. She makes it for the first bird. As soon as I blast it, she just decides, well, I did my part. I'm going to walk back to the truck and watch you shoot the rest of the birds. At least you can get one in. <laughs> yeah, I get one in. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I, well, what we should what we should do, though, we should have Greg take us to some of his spots. And then we we need to get Greg out on the boat. No, I don't. I do not own a boat, but but Jeff and Matt own boats. Matt owns a monstrous boat. So, um, that would be, that would be cool. We got to get Greg. We we're all about getting more hunters in the game. Here, so we got to get, we got to get you, uh, re we got to reactivate and start utilizing this duck boat of mine for some, uh, deer hunting opportunities as well. You know, that's, Ooh. that's the beautiful thing about a duck boat. You can get to places that other guys can't, right. And you shoot that big buck, you just throw them on the front of the boat and motor on back. That's the dream right there. That is the dream. Yeah. Or put it in a canoe and, and paddle it out too. That yeah. isn't the work. Yeah. Better than walking it. That's right. True. That's true. Or you, you could be like the host of the OKS Hunter podcast and just, you know, you know, strip down to your uh your skimpies and, and haul them across too. That works. I was there firsthand for every inch of that. <laughs> um, yes. And if folks, if you do not know what we're talking about here, uh, go to, uh, okay. Hunter on YouTube and you'll, there's a video out there. You'll see it. It's a full, full episode on it. Um, would definitely recommend checking it out. Cause it's, it's a sight to behold the deer. The buck is a sight to behold too. He shot that thing right across the street from my neighborhood. Nice. Yeah. Didn't know it until I showed up at the trade show and we started talking about it. And sure enough, right across the street. Imagine that. Yeah. It's a small, small, small world. Um, all right. And then, uh, Greg, I do have a, a sort of a random question, but you're hiking it back into the marsh. Did you ever fall in? Um, I have tripped my share of times. I filled my waders once. Um, I got turned around in that stuff because it was so tall. And long story, very short. The dog knew where we had to go, and he kept leading leading the one direction like he knew where to go like no you get over here you know and so i'm walking what it turned i should have been heading west i i made i started going west and i started veering north and he kept going west and then he'd come back and he kind of look at me with his ears up going what are you doing no what are you doing get over here we're, we're supposed to be going this way no i want to go this way we need to go this way you know so the dog would head back off that way I keep trudging through and I stop and I'd listen for him and I'd hear him way off, off for me, you know, and I'd call him. He'd come find me. We keep going. Finally, I got out into a clear spot and uh, I see trees. I don't remember trees being out here. So I turned around again and it was a clear enough morning where I could see the stars and stuff and, you know, see some constellations and things. And I'm going, oh, shit. So I look back to the east and I see another line of trees. I'm like, that's where the parking lot is. Shit, the dog knew where we were going the whole time. I should have just followed him. 
because he was just smelling the water. He could smell the ducks on the water or something. I don't know, man. He knew he knew where we had to go, and I steered him wrong. And if if he could have talked, he would say, "Yes, well, I told you so." <laughs> Things are unbelievable creatures sometimes. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, all right, Matt, Matt, Jeff, on the subject of falling, have you ever fallen in before? Uh, I, I've, I haven't fallen in and filled up my waders. I've been real close where, you know, you're pushing a boat and all of a sudden it drops off and you're hanging onto the boat with your legs dangling. But I have had a couple of my buddies, the last, I don't know what it is, the last like two or three years, someone usually ends up hunting out of their shorts, I, I swear because of wet waders or something. I think it was two or three years ago, I had a buddy, we went out early teal hunting and we were in a mud flat. Um, for those of you guys that are familiar with teal, they love mud flats, that's a big thing for them. Um, and you couldn't walk out in this stuff. And we, sure enough, we dumped a teal. My buddy was so committed to getting this teal, he stripped down out of his waders and swam to get this teal. So ended up hunting the rest of the day in his shorts. I think the year after that, uh, it was opening day. We set up on some some wood ducks on on a river, and we had a great spot. A couple of woodies came in. We dropped them. He went out to go retrieve them. At this, we didn't have a dog. Um, we should have. He went out to retrieve them, filled up his waders, and sure enough, the rest of the wood duck group just came dumping in right to the side of us. I mean, there was probably 40, 50 wood ducks dumping in. He's standing in the middle of the river with his hands up waders full trying to retrieve these two wood ducks while just piles of them just started dumping in next to us so again ended up hunting the rest of the day in his shorts um so but thankfully i haven't had that yet i haven't had the waders fill up but it doesn't sound like a good time no it's not no but i heard you don't sink that's that's the big myth right that everybody thinks you're gonna sink but i think that's been debunked numerous times where it's it's difficult to swim, but if you keep your cool and your wits about you, you usually can get yourself out of that situation if, if you know, God willing. It's like having a water bottle around you, you know, you can still stay upright with it. Right. I've really thought about jumping into my sister and brother-in-law's pool with my waders on just to feel what it what that feels like if that would occur to better prepare me in the event that, that it would happen out in the field or out on the water. You're trying to defy the laws of gravity when you try to get out of the water mm -hmm. with those full waders. Honestly, like I crawled ashore or a muck <laughs> up onto the muck and through into the cattails, just crawled head first into the cattails and the stuff just ran out. Otherwise trying to pick up and move with all that weight in there is, is it's difficult. Yeah. So Tyler, uh, I've had some bad experiences in the muck, right? I, I had, I had a bad, I had a bad experience where I thought I was going to fall over and fill up the waders. I was like 16 and that has scarred me for life. Plus I don't swim well. So a little bit of water trepidation, um, that, so I, this, this story is too good not to share though. So I was at my buddy's, he owns some, and he owns a swamp day last year. And he's got this pond, the little pond that dug out, and we're he's gonna put out a couple of a couple of decoys. We're gonna set up on it since it's in his marsh, and um, and he's going. 
and he trips or just slips and he falls in right and there's a reed on the edge and it literally goes up his nose and he is just pouring blood out of his nose right i'm like um okay and it's like his his wife she's like it's like her first time ever duck hunting is there so he's like i have to go back up to my house i have to like clot this thing and so just me and his 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 wife we you know, just got married like you know two or three months ago we're just sitting there chit-chatting you know as we're waiting for um you know the time to tick down and you know all of a sudden shots start ringing out and like we're set we're down in like the bottom his house is way on top of the hill he got done. He must have been walking back out. And there was a there was a um a teal that like skirted right over the top of the hill. And he's walking back. He see we're just we're standing on top and he just he blasts the thing, just pass you sit and blast. I'm like, wow, that's quite the way to get a get a duck on opening day, right? Got a uh, bunch of cotton balls stuck up his nose. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it was just hanging teals. out of his nose. Yeah. Yeah. He was gone for like 30 minutes. It took a while to uh yeah. So that was I haven't done that, thankfully. That's but that's probably the best best story that I've got there. Nice. Matt, you yeah, gotta have I mean, some good never, stories in the Mississippi. I've never filled filled up my waders, but I have tripped, and the the waiter belt has saved me, you know, from a full a oh, full yeah. filling. Ooh. I've got I've hunted with my boots and socks plenty wet, um, you know, or maybe you catch yourself and your your right hand is now wet and you're dumping your gun, you know. I've done that a number of times, and you got to bring it back and really strip it down after clean it up for the next time but never full um definitely dripped underneath the waiter belt plenty of times when i used to walk in like ex explicitly so since the boat i haven't had anything knock on wood but nice. it's bound to happen it, you know plenty of stuff to trip on underwater that you don't see so this summer i'll have to throw the waiters on and we can get some some content yeah. here i'm gonna jump yeah. in my my sister -in -law's pool and yeah. flop around in there and try to get myself back to the side <laughs> that might be entertaining yeah. for our viewers to watch that one way or another if you don't have a wet ass you're not duck hunting that's right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in your way or dunking them or something you're not duck hunting that's right <laughs> that's uh that is that's perfect um i feels like a great way to start wrapping this thing up but for that jeff matt though any other questions for greg we've been talking for almost an hour now all right i i got some rapid fire questions for you greg i put a few together okay, okay. everybody i guess everybody uses these rapid fire things on podcasts so we'll just call them like really fast questions or something like that we'll call it the the mag dump how's that song? mag dump okay i like it there you go all right here we go are you ready Let's do it. All right. Hunting or fishing? Ooh. I'm going to go fishing. Fishing? Wow. I did not expect that. All right. Hunting, bow or gun? Mm. I really love bow hunting. Okay. Fair. Public or private? I would love to have a piece of private. I'm not going to lie. After all the, the the hardships I've gone through on, on public, but right now it's public and I'm liking it even though it can be pretty difficult. Okay, fair. Favorite game to eat? It's going to be the good old white-tailed deer. All right. Top of your bucket list hunt? Oh, man. Um, I really I should have prepped you with these before. Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> it, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be the mag dump if, if That's it was true. we were prepping them for it. So uh, I'd have to say I would still, I still want to uh, duck hunt on the Mississippi. I would really love to get a uh 
a nice canvas back. I think well, we know be- a guy that's sitting, you know, on the screen here to your right. <laughs> they might be able to make that happen for us. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be sweet. You know, I, I've not done a lot of diver hunting, and I think that's one of the one of the things I'd like to do. Um, nice. A close second. Uh, always been a huge fan of mule deer. Never got out there to do it. Elk's another one too, but mule deer. Cool. All right, romantic walk on the beach or dinner in a movie. Mm, if I take my wife for a walk on the beach, she knows something's up. <laughs> she's gonna be expecting to see a fishing rod so we're gonna <laughs> well, that's fair dinner and a movie, dinner and movie. <laughs> all right here's the last one you better be careful with this one what's your favorite podcast Ooh, um no pressure here <laughs> we might have to go with the granddaddy we're gonna probably have to go with the okay hunter the okay hunter all right that's fair <laughs> that was a safe choice that was a safe choice <laughs> I've got I've got a follow up, and it is that that is have you that's, listened that's to an episode of the Updock podcast yet? I have not. Oh, that hurts on me. Uh-oh. I know that's okay. You're like the rest of the world for the most part. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Question: well, You're at least gonna have to listen to this episode, huh? Well, I don't like listening to myself talk, so I have a very hard time listening back to the stuff that I'm on. Or even my own podcast, which is the OKS Fisher podcast. So, have any of you guys listening to that? I have. I, I've tuned I, in. I know nothing about fish. Well, I, I fish a little bit, but I am the definition of an OKS Fisher. But I have tuned in for a little bit. Fair enough. So, I got to tune in for a little bit at least of uh, just, first, just, a li- just a little first, bit. First three episodes of this one. Just a little bit. Yep. All right. Fair enough. I think. You should go listen to episode four where, where Jeff and Matt talk about their duck boat builds. Like that's, I was scoping that and we've kind of been chatting back and forth about my revamping of the fishing boat. So mm. yeah, that's, uh, that's not going as planned, but uh, probably going to have to go with a cheap route and just stick with the carpet for now. Yeah, that's fair. At hydro turf for a big fishing boat is not going to be a, a cheap ordeal. Oh, that the back deck because it's a 19 footer and it's it's longer in the back because i use it more for trolling anyway for salmon out on the big lake um it's probably about 400 dollars in material just for the back and oh, then she's, oh yeah i mean and another sheet is, for the front yeah 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 it's a lot of money just in in, in deck covering that's not including right. the, the soft wood that i got to repair in that thing too mm-hmm mm. Yeah. And we're talking about boats again when I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> Break out another thousand. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh any Jeff, Matt, any other questions for Greg before we uh we release him back to his other podcasts and all of his other outdoor adventures. Good. Yeah. All right, Greg, thank you for taking time and hopping on with us. And if, if you're listening, you've made it this far in uh join us uh, a couple weeks after this one comes out i don't know if we're gonna have another guest or another topic um we'll see you'll just have to tune in and, and find out then thanks for having me thanks greg <laughs>